Okay, brothers and sisters, we are so happy to announce that we are now going to begin the study of the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Torah or the Pentateuch. And so we're quite excited because we have made some progress. This will be the last book of the book of Moses or the Torah or the Pentateuch. It's called the fifth book of Moses, but others call it the gospel according to Moses because after we finish the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to see it does speak about the good news or the gospel. We will see that along the way, and we will know and understand the purpose and structure of this beautiful yet powerful book, the book of Deuteronomy. Now, not many people are excited when it comes to the study of the book of Deuteronomy. Well, that's because they don't really understand what it means and what it represents, its form and its function. So before we go ahead and look into the passages into the book of Deuteronomy, I think we need to first understand and know the meaning of Deuteronomy, because why on earth is it entitled Deuteronomy, right? Because if you read the scriptures, you can't find Deuteronomy on there. I think it's a Greek-based word. And my wife even asked me, is Deuteronomy the study of Deuteron? <laughs> no, it's not the study of Deuteron. Astronomy, biology, Deuteronomy. And so she wants to be a Deuteronomist and major in Deuteronomy. But that's not what it means. What is Deuteronomy? Well, Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy in Hebrew is, is Alaha Davarim in Hebrew, which means these are the words or simply Dabar words. In ancient Greek, it is Deuteronomion, which means second law or a copy of this law signifying a retelling or a repetition of God's law. So that's the meaning of Deuteronomy. It means words. It means second law. And why would it be called Deuteronomy, which has those meanings, words and second law in the first place? We find the answer when we go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, 1 and 5. These are the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel, while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. They were camped in the Jordan Valley near Suf, between Paran on one side, and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Bezahab on the other. While the Israelites were in the land of Moab, east of the Jordan River, Moses carefully explained Yahuwah's instructions as follows. So why is the book of Deuteronomy called Deuteronomy, which means words. That's because Deuteronomy basically teaches or includes the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel. Take note, he carefully explained Yahuwah's instructions. Remember, this happened east of the Jordan not west of the Jordan or in the promised land. Why? Because if you still remember, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. And so with a heavy heart, right before the people of Israel were to cross the Jordan River, Moses spoke these words in what we can call the final pastoral message of Moses. In other words, Moses was basically giving his farewell address to prepare and to remind the new generation about the plan and the instructions 
of Yahuwah. This is why Deuteronomy is called words. Words spoken by Moses, the sermons of Moses to prepare the people of Israel to enter the promised land. Why is it called second law? Does it mean there's a, a set, a second set of laws that are to be given? No, it is basically a retelling, a re-explanation of Yahuwah's instructions. When did Moses first mention or proclaim Yahuwah's laws? Way back then in the mountain of Sinai. Remember that event when there was lightning and fire and thunder and the people of Israel witnessed the glory and presence of Yahuwah God and Yahuwah made a covenant with them. Moses was the mediator of that covenant. And during that event, it was evident that Yahuwah was proclaiming Israel to be his people. That was a monumentous event. But the people who witnessed that event, what happened to them? They all perished because Yahuwah was angry because of their rebellion, because of their hard-headedness. And so Moses was basically speaking to a new generation, those who did not witness the event in Mount Sinai. And so there's a retelling. There's a second law, in term, not in terms of a second set of laws, but a retelling, a repetition of what was preached before to prepare this new generation when they enter the promised land. So with a heavy heart, Moses is going to speak to this next generation. How long ago was the span of time between that first generation and this new one? Deuteronomy 1, 2 to 4, normally it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, going by way of Mount Seir. But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything Yahuwah had commanded him to say. This took place after he had defeated King Sihon of the Amorites, who had ruled in Heshbon, and King Og of Bashan, who had ruled in Ashtaroth and Adre. And so how long was the span of time between the old, the passing of the old, and the incoming of the new? It took about 40 years. It should have been only 11 days, right? But there was a delay. Why? Because of sin. And so we need to always keep that in mind. Whenever we delay obedience, there's always going to be a consequence. And it's a tragic consequence because it meant that the generation of Mount Sinai, they all perished except for Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses is not going to be able to enter the promised land. Not even Aaron was able to enter the promised land. And so it was indeed a great tragedy, something we need to always keep in mind. Brethren, when we have the opportunity, God is presenting us, we need to take it at once. Because if we delay, Yahuwah God might punish us and prolong that delay indefinitely. And so Moses, before he dies, is going to prepare this new generation by reminding them by addressing the people of Israel to remind them of Yahuwah's instructions. This is why if we are to look at the book of Deuteronomy, when we look at the structure of Deuteronomy, it's basically the farewell 
pastoral address of Moses, divided into three sermons of benediction and the final blessing. So it's like a long worship service, right? First sermon is covered by Deuteronomy 1 6 to 440. A second sermon covers Deuteronomy 5 1 to 26, 19, and 28. The third sermon covers Deuteronomy 29 to 30, benediction, Deuteronomy 32, and final blessing, Deuteronomy 33. So the entire structure of the book of Deuteronomy can be broken up into the sermons, the words of Moses. So it is a moving sermon from Moses. And we understand why, because he's preaching with compassion and also at the same time with a heavy heart, because he really wanted to go to the promised land. But he realizes Yahuwah's decree, you're not going to enter the promised land. And so it is with a heavy heart, yet with love, with compassion, with concern, because he does not want the, the people of Israel, this new generation, to disappoint Yahuwah God. So he gave it his best, moved by the Spirit of God. The, this set of servants from Moses is indeed powerful, beautiful, and very moving. We can learn so much from the sermons of Moses. This is why others call Deuteronomy the gospel according to Moses. And the truth of the matter is, um, it, it is so powerful that it affects many other religions who are not even affiliated with Christianity. And in the New Testament, it also was heavily influenced by Deuteronomy. I'm going to read here three passages from Deuteronomy. And as you read these three passages of Scripture, I want you to raise your hand. I wonder if you can do that. I want you to raise your hand if you can see a pattern here or who quoted, who used these passages. In Deuteronomy 8.3, he did it to teach you that the people do not li live by bread alone. Deuteronomy 6.16, you must not test Yahuwah your God. Deuteronomy 6.13, honor Yahuwah your God, worship only him. How many here know who used all three of these verses in consecutive fashion? Brother Maddie, Yahushua, when did he do that? In the wilderness, right? Israel is in the wilderness now, aren't they? In the wilderness in the future, Yahushua would be tested or tempted by who? The devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, it is likely that Yahushua was meditating upon the book of Deuteronomy. And so he was tempted three times, all three times. What did, Yahu, what did Yahushua do? He quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. That was not the only time Yahushua relied on the book of Deuteronomy. He also used it in other instances. In fact, even the teaching of the two greatest commandments come from the book of Deuteronomy. So we can see the impact of Deuteronomy. King Yahushua often quoted from it. And Deuteronomy is quoted over 80 times in the New Testament. So I'm sure we can learn much from the sermons of Moses, especially if it is his farewell address. You can gain much. You can gain so much when you listen to 
the final words of a dying man. And so let's go ahead and seek a wisdom from the message from Moses. What can we learn from the message that Moses preached to all of Israel? In the book of Deuteronomy 1, 6 to 7, when we were at Mount Sinai, Yahuwah, our God, said to us, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. It is time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighboring regions, the Jordan Valley, the hill country, the western foothills, and again, the coastal plain. Go to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon and all the way to the great Euphrates River. And so what is one of the messages of Moses? What can we learn from his, his speech, his pastoral address to the people of Israel? Well, Yahu, uh, Moses reminds them about what happened in the past. Oftentimes, the best way to prepare yourself for the future is by going to the past and learning from the past. And so we see this pattern uh, being fulfilled by Moses. He's telling the people of Israel, look, you're a new generation, but you cannot forget the past. And so much of the sermon in the first sermon is about a recounting of what happened in the past. And so Moses tells them, when we were in Mount Sinai and we heard the thunder, we saw the glory of Yahuwah God, we received the commands and the tablets. Yahuwah God said to them, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. What is required from them? What did Yahuwah God want them to do? To move on. In other words, they need to go. They cannot be stuck. And this is a principle that we need to always keep in mind. Yahuwah God does not want us to be complacent. He does not want us to be stuck in the past. We can learn from the past, but we need to keep going which direction? Forward. Because Yahuwah God wants us to do things. And this is true even today. And so we need to keep growing. We need to keep learning. We need to keep doing and expanding the kingdom of God. So that's one thing we can learn, we need to keep moving. We need to keep growing. What else can we learn from the message of Moses? Deuteronomy 1 verse 8. Look, I am giving all this land to you. Go in and occupy it. For it is the land Yahuwah swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to all their descendants. This is what we find here is another great nugget of principle that we need to apply in our life. What is Moses telling the people of Israel? Because they are the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have a promise that Yahuwah God swore to give them. And because they have a promise, they're now duty-bound to occupy the promise. In other words, whenever Yahuwah God gives us a promise, it's also a command to do our part so that Yahuwah can do his part, right? That's what it means when we have a promise. Is it true that Yahuwah God has a promise for us? Yeah. He had a promise for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We also have a promise. And so if we have a promise from Yahuwah, we have to do our part. It is part a command, and it's also part Yahuwah's provision. Okay? That's the combination. Because Yahuwah God giving us a promise doesn't mean we don't do anything. We just wait, do nothing. No. It means you have to do what you have to do. And in this case, they have to go out there. They have to fight the, the people living in the promised land and occupy it. 
Do we also have a promise from Yahuwah? Yes. Jeremiah 23 verse 3. But I will gather the remnant of my flock in the countries where I have driven them. I will bring them back to their own sheepfold and they will be fruitful and increase in number. Do we have a promise from Yahuwah? Yes. We, what is the promise of Yahuwah God? He will bring us together from the countries where we come from and make us into one, our own sheepfold. Was that fulfilled? Yes. Why? What does he want us to do? To, Yahuwah God wants us to fulfill his, the, another promise that we will be fruitful and increase in number. But this is contingent upon our work. So we need to occupy the promises of Yahuwah. What else is the instruction or what else can we learn from the sermon of Moses? Deuteronomy 1, 19 and 21. Then just as Yahuwah, our God, commanded us, we left Mount Sinai and traveled through the great and terrifying wilderness. As you yourselves remember and headed toward the hill country of the Amorites. When we arrived at Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, you have now reached the hill country of the Amorites that Yahuwah, our God, is giving us. Look, he has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as Yahuwah, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. What also can we learn from the message of Moses? When Yahuwah God gives us a promise, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy to occupy or to receive that promise. Do you see that? The Bible says that Yahuwah placed the land right in front of them. All they have to do was occupy it. But what was in the way? It was their fear. Fear of what? The terrifying wilderness. And also the giants that they saw. The circumstances of their journey. And when we think about our journey today, isn't it true? We also face a great and terrifying wilderness. What does that wilderness represent? Poverty, hardship, disease, danger, right? We're going through that now. And so what is the message of Moses, he says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. So always keep in mind, yes, Yahuwah God has a promise. He will give us the land. He will give us his promises, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. We have to do our part. And oftentimes people fail to do their part because they're afraid. And so we need to learn to overcome that fear. How can we overcome that fear? Let's keep reading. But I said to you, don't be shocked. Or afraid of them. Yahuwah your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you. Just as you saw him do in Egypt. And you saw how Yahuwah your God cared for you all along the way. As you traveled through the wilderness. Just as a father cares for his child. Now he has brought you to this place. And so what must we do to overcome the fear because it doesn't matter what dispensation of time you belong to. The days of Moses, the days of the patriarchs, the days of the prophets, the days of the Christians for a century up to, up to this present moment. It doesn't matter what dispensation of time we live in. We're going to face reasons and circumstances that bring about fear. But how can we overcome that fear? Always keep in mind what Moses says here. That Yahuwah is like a father. To us, a father who cares 
for his child. And so if we trust in the care that Yahuwah gives, that he is our father, when we have that in our minds, we will overcome fear. Because truth of the matter is, we're only afraid when we are apart from our father, right? Because our father is greater than the source of fear. Ourselves, if we are by ourselves, we will be easily afraid. And it's okay to feel fear. But when you feel fear, you should not be hindered from doing what you're supposed to do. And how do you feel that, gain that courage to do what you're supposed to do? Hold on to your father's hand. And so the best way to overcome fear, brethren, is to be close to your father and to trust in your father's care, our loving Yahuwah Abba. And so keep moving. Occupy the promises of God requires work, labor on our part. Overcome fear by trusting the Father's care. Now, what else does Moses tell us? Deuteronomy 1.22. But you all came to me and said, first, let's send out scouts to explore the land for us. They will advise us on the best route to take and which towns uh, we should enter. And so we all know what Yahuwah God instructed him to do, right? Occupy the land. But the people led by Moses, instead of doing that, what were they su suggesting to Moses? Let's first send out scouts to explore the land. Then they will advise us. And so instead of trusting Yahuwah's command, to go and occupy the land, they wanted to send out scouts, and they would rather trust the wisdom of these scouts than Yahuwah's wisdom. Do you see that? And so what happened? And so the command to occupy the land was delayed. Sometimes we know Yahuwah's God's plan. We know his will. We know what he wants us to do, but we keep putting it off. We keep procrastinating. We'll do it, but not now. Always keep in mind, however, that delayed obedience, what is that? Disobedience. Because when you delay obedience, when you delay obeying the will of the Father, you know what's going to happen? It gives the opportunity for the devil to mess things up. Was he able to do that in this instance? Yeah. This is why that delayed obedience led to a delay of 40 years before occupying the land. And so we need to apply that in our life too. If you know Yahuwah God wants you to do something, don't put it off. Do it now because you have trust and belief in the will of our loving Father. So do not delay fulfilling Yahuwah's will. So here's Moses listening to the suggestion of the people of Israel. And what does Moses say to their suggestion? This seemed like a good idea to me. I want to pause there for a while. Here's Moses, and he says, this seemed like a good idea to me. Do you feel kind of like a regret? You feel regret, right? Like Moses said, why did I have to listen to these guys? I should have listened to what Yahuwah said. So here Moses was kind of admitting to the people of Israel, this was my mistake. The idea to send out spies, that was not from Moses. That was not from God. But Moses, he compromised the will of God. And what happens when you compromise the will of God? It leads to consequences, which are not often good. In fact, we can categorically say it's not going to be good. 
is going to be counter to productivity, especially Yahuwah's plan for our life. And so here's Moses. He said, this seemed like a good idea to me. So I chose 12 scouts, one from each of your tribes. They headed for the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and explored it. They picked some of its fruit and brought it back to us and they reported, the land of Yahuwah, our God, has given us is indeed a good land. And so Moses, the reason why he relented and agreed to the suggestions of his the Israelites was because he said this seemed like a good idea to me. And so this reminds us of the Bible's warning in Proverbs 14, 12. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. You know, life is all about making decisions, right? And the Bible is telling us in our path, there is a path before each person. Your path is different from mine. We all have different circumstances in life. We all have different um, things that we need to do. But sometimes there are things that we think are going to be right. It's going to be good for us. But the end is what? Death, right? doesn't matter how smart a person may be, how intellectual he or she is. There are instances in our life when the path before us seems to be right, seems to be for our good, our benefit. But the end is death. This is why before making any decision, what should we do? Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, trust in Yahuwah with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear Yahuwah and turn away from evil. And so let us seek Yahuwah's desire. Sometimes we have our own desire. And we go to Yahuwah God and says, okay, if that's what you want. And God gives us his will, right? But what we want is Yahuwah's desire, his real will for our life. And so let us not rely on our own human wisdom. Instead, trust in the wisdom and the commands of Yahuwah, our God. What else can we learn from Moses' sermon? Deuteronomy 1, 32, 36. But, if, but even after all he did, you refuse to trust Yahuwah, your God, who goes before you looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. When Yahuwah heard your complaining, he became very angry. So he solemnly swore, not one of you from this wicked generation will live to see the good and I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see this land because he has followed Yahuwah completely. I will give to him and his descendants some of the very land, some of the very land he explored during his scouting mission. And we can see here basically two types of people, right? Those who discourage and those who encourage, right? Who is an example of one who encouraged? Caleb. And he was a part of the minority. Because everyone else, they were discouraging the people of God from fulfilling the will of Yahuwah our God. How are they discouraging the people? They were complaining, complaining to Moses, complaining to Yahuwah. Why were they complaining? Because they did not want to occupy the land because of their fear. And so they were discouraging the rest of the congregation. 
and their discouragement spread like wildfire to the point that the people of Israel, can you imagine, on the threshold, right in front of the promised land, where did they want to go back to? Egypt. You want to go backward, not forward. Yahweh God says, move, occupy the land. Then you want to go backward. It's called rebellion. And the reason why is because they were discouraged. And so the one thing Yahuwah God does not want, especially for us in the assembly of Yahusha, are people who discourage. We need to be people who encourage others to do the will of God, right? And so how can we do that? Let's read what it says in the book of Deuteronomy 1, 37, 38. And Yahuwah was also angry with me. Because of you, he said to me, Moses, not even you will enter the promised land. Instead, your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will lead the people into the land. Encourage him, for he will lead Israel as they take possession of it. And so we need to encourage each other to take possession of the land. We need to encourage each other instead of complaining and bickering, instead of rebelling against Jehovah our God lacking trust we need to encourage each other we need to tell each other we have the promise of yahuwah yes there may be giants there but yahuwah is our god that is how we must work together as one assembly moving forward to occupy the promises of yahuwah our god and so we need to encourage not discourage what else can we learn deuteronomy 1 39 to 40 i will give the land to your little ones, your innocent children. You were afraid they would be captured, but they will be the ones to who occupy it. As for you, turn around now and go on back through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. It's really ironic when Yahuwah God told Moses to lead the people of Israel to occupy the promised land. Do you know what excuse they gave? They said, there are giants there. They're going to kill our little ones. That was the excuse they gave. They're going to capture and kill our children. They use an excuse or the family excuse, right? Sounds kind of legit, doesn't it? How many here like to use like a family excuse? They were using that. They're saying to Moses, our children, our children are going to perish if we go there. And then Yahuwah God says, okay, you're going to use that as an excuse. This is what's going to happen to you. What happened? The parents were, will not occupy the land. Who's going to occupy it? The little ones. The children will be the ones to occupy. And so it backfired on them. So excuses from doing the will of God will often backfire on us. What else can we learn from Yahuwah's uh, message through Moses? Deuteronomy 1, 41 to 42. Then you confessed, we have sinned against Yahuwah. We will go into the land, fight for it, as Yahuwah our God has commanded us. So your men strapped on their weapons, thinking it would be easy to attack the hill country. But Yahuwah told me to tell you, do not attack, for I am not with you. If you go ahead on your own, you will be crushed by your enemies. You see the difference between when Yahuwah God is with us and when Yahuwah God is no longer with us? Before all this took place, the Bible says, Yahuwah says, go occupy the land. They delayed. They became afraid. They rebelled. They realized their mistake. They confessed their sins. But Yahuwah God says it's too late. 
And so these are the consequences of sin. And what did Yahuwah God say to them? Do not attack anymore. I'm not with you. But they were stubborn. They attacked anyways. Deuteronomy 1, 43, 45. This is what I told you. But you would not listen. Instead, you again rebelled against Yahuwah's command and arrogantly went into the hill country to fight. But the Amorites who lived there came out against you like a swarm of bees. They chased and battered you all the way from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before Yahuwah, but he refused to listen. And so, brethren, there's a time when Yahuwah God is going to say enough is enough. And so sin, yes, Yahuwah can forgive us of our sins, but there's always going to be that consequence of sin. Always keep that in mind. And so we want to do Yahuwah's will without delay because we trust in the care of Yahuwah Abba. When we do that, we will have the power of Yahuwah. But if we will delay and we, rea we realize our mistake, we might not get another chance. And so, brethren, when God gives us the opportunity, we have to take it. We have to occupy the land. We have to fulfill his will. Always keep in mind, sins, yes, they can be forgiven, but the consequences may linger. What else can we learn from the Sermon of Moses? Deuteronomy 1, 9 to 11. Moses continued, at that time I told you, you are too great. A burden for me to carry all by myself. Yahuwah your God has increased your population, making you as numerous as the stars. And may Yahuwah the God of your ancestors multiply you a thousand times more and bless you as he promised in the people of God who has his promises. And they do the work Yahuwah requires of them. Yahuwah God will bless them by multiplying them. They will increase in number. Isn't this what we're also witnessing? Is not Yahuwah God blessing our work? And so we can expect, brothers and sisters, if we will work together as one in fulfilling what Yahuwah God wants us to do, Yahuwah God will bless the assembly of Yahusha, causing it to increase in population, increase in number. However, the more we grow, the more the work. Do you get it? And so what, was, what, is, what is Moses teaching them? He's saying the more you grow, the more the work. And so you need to distribute that workload because it's too burdensome if it's only carried by a few people. And so Moses was reminding the new generation, when you enter the promised land, do not be complacent. You have to keep growing and receive the blessings of God. With growth comes you, uh, responsibilities. You need to do more now. You need to make sure you organize yourself. And so what does he instruct them? But you are, you are such a heavy load to carry. How can I deal with all your problems and bickering? Choose some well-respected men from each tribe who are known for their wisdom and understanding. And I will appoint them as your leaders. And so we can see that the, the answer to the problem concerning the burden of caring for a growing congregation was to inspire people who will become leaders. This is why we are preparing for that growth. Hence, we have the ministry. We are preparing leaders who will assist in providing care. And so if you want to enroll in the ministry, 
if you feel that God is leading you to do that kind of work, uh, please write to us. We will begin our first day of class after Yahusha's Passover. So those who still want to apply, please inform us at info at assemblyofyahusha.org if you're interested. Of course, you have to be 18 and above, and you have to be a brother. Okay, so we do hope that we have brothers, brothers, capable brothers who will be willing to help in providing leadership for the growing assembly of Yahushua. And what will be the purpose? How, what will be the role of the elders? Deuteronomy 1, 14 and 15, then you responded, your plan is a good one. So I took the wise and respected men you had selected from your tribes and appointed them to serve as judges and officials over you. Some were responsible for a thousand people, some for a hundred, some for 50, and some for 10. And so the, they, they were organizing an organization and a systematic way of doing things is part of addressing the burden of a heavy workload as the assembly continues to grow. What will these leaders do? They will serve as judges, officials, to make uh, careful decisions whenever a problem or a case is presented before them. So some are in charge of a thousand, a hundred, fifty, or ten. And so there was a system, there's an organization, and that is also what we are presently doing with the assembly of Yahusha. Right now, um, we're growing, but we're not yet there. We're still awaiting for the promises of Yahuwah to take, uh, to take effect fully. And so as we continue to grow, we need to be well organized. We need to operate and work as a system. This was also practiced by the early Yahushians when the apostles were preaching and more and more were required of them. How do they organize themselves so that they can distribute the workload in the book of Acts 6, 1 to 4, but with the believers multiplying rapidly, there were rumblings of discontent, which is the which is human nature kicking in, right? The more, the, the more you grow, the more problems you have, and the more likely there's going to be rumblings of discontent. Those who spoke only Greek complained that their widows were being discriminated against and they were not being given as much food in the daily distribution as the widows who spoke Hebrew. And so you can see the rumblings and the complaining, right? The Hebrews and the Greeks, they were kind of at it. So the 12 called a meeting of all believers. We should spend our time preaching, not administering a feeding program, they said. Now look around among yourselves, dear brothers, and select seven men, wise and full of the Holy Spirit, who are well thought of by everyone, and we will put them in charge of this business. And we can spend our time in prayer, preaching, and teaching. And so we're also following that same pattern because we're growing as an assembly. The way the, way the assembly is organized, we basically have two parts the Council of Elders and the Board of Directors. You see that? And what's the purpose of the Council of Elders? To provide spiritual leadership, much like what the apostles were doing, which namely uh, were, if you look at the bottom, verse 4, prayer, preaching, and 
teaching, right? And so we have that as the council of elders, but there's also a board of directors. And what is their function? The more technical aspect of running an organization or an assembly, things like administering a feeding program, organizing things like that, and looking into the legal aspects of it because we have to protect the assembly, right? For example, when it comes to the production of hymns that we use for the worship service, what's the role of the Council of Elders? It is to provide spiritual leadership to make sure that our hymns convey the proper message, which is not against the, the doctrines that we have faith in, right? So the spiritual aspect is being governed, is being um, covered by the Council of Elders, but the board of directors, the organizing part, the administrative part, the legal part, that's by the board of directors. So they function together. They're not independent of each other, but they function together. This is how we um, do things as an assembly of Yahusha. But of course, as we continue to expand, there's going to be more and more uh, I don't want to call it compartmentalization, but there's going to be more organization uh, when it comes to expansion. So that is what we need to do in preparation for the great work that is ahead of us. So we need to systematize and organize the workload. And what is probably going to be much of the workload, let's read um, Deuteronomy 1, 16 to 18, at that time, I instructed the judges, you must hear the cases of your fellow Israelites and the foreigners living among you. Be perfectly fair in your decisions and impartial in your judgments. Hear the cases of those who are poor as well as those who are rich. Don't be afraid of anyone's anger for the decision you make is God's decision. Bring me any cases that are too difficult for you, and I will handle them. At that time, I gave you instructions about everything you were to do. And so what also must we address immediately so that the assembly will continue to grow in harmony and in peace? We have to settle and solve conflicts and cases between the brethren, you know, as brothers and sisters, we're human beings, right? And as human beings, we have different personalities. Sometimes they'll clash. And so there'll be cases. And these cases must be solved fairly with impartiality. No biases. And so it's, it's just part of the, the journey as people of God. As we continue to grow, sometimes there'll be disagreements. And so we need to make sure that we fix that right away. However... As members of the Assembly of Yahusha, what must we do so that there would be no need for a quote-unquote judge, an elder to judge the case? What must we do? Matthew 18, 15, and 17. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, Take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church or the assembly. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat the person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. And so Yahushua is teaching us a protocol to follow to preserve the, the harmony and peace of the assembly. What is that? 
Well, if somebody sins against you, what's the first step to resolve that case? What's the first thing you're supposed to do? Bible says, if a believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Instead of telling other people about the problem, confront the one who has sinned against you. Do it privately. And sometimes, unfortunately, what's happening is instead of confronting the one who has offended you, what do they do? They talk to other people about it. So what's going to happen to the problem? All of a sudden, these other people are going to be against this person, right? And Yahushua says, that's not right. What you're supposed to do is go privately, talk to that person. And in your talking to that person, what do you want to happen? You want to reconcile. You want to win that brother or that sister back. And so let's say you try to do that, but he or she refuses. It's unsuccessful. What's, what's the next step? You have to take one or two others with you, preferably those who can assist in the reconciliation process. If that still doesn't work, what's the next step? And then take it to the assembly. That's when the elders, the council of elders are going to listen to the case and make a decision. This is the protocol Yahusha set up so that we can keep the peace as an assembly as we move forward and our work continues to be established and expanding. And so these are the things that we can learn from Moses, right? We need to settle disputes fairly. Keep moving. Occupy the promises of Yahuwah. Overcome fear by trusting the Father's care. Do not delay fulfilling Yahuwah's will. Uh, do not rely on human wisdom. Encourage, not discourage. Excuses will backfire. Sins have consequences. Systematize and organize a workload. Settle, settle disputes fairly. And Yahuwah God, I believe, is really emphasizing that last part as we grow. Because I can assure you, brothers and sisters, as we grow together, as more and more people join the assembly, we're going to have a lot of conflict sometimes, right? We need to address that right away. Why? Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Since God chose you to be holy, to be, to be the holy people he loves, you must... This is not a suggestion. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, one. Kindness, two. Humility, three. Gentleness, four. Patience, five. And here's a big part. You ready for 13? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must, not a suggestion, you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Because we belong to Yahuwah God, and we were chosen to be his holy people. What does God want? He wants us to be bound together in unity, in perfect. What's the word? Harmony. What does perfect harmony mean? It means you like to be with that person, working together with that person, right? Because if you don't like working together with another person, you're not in perfect harmony. And so there's something we have to do about that. Well, how can we achieve perfect harmony when we are different people? Bible says you have to clothe yourselves with the following things. Mercy, tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, 
Because if you have that, if you have mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, it will allow you to give allowance for each other's faults and be able to forgive one another. And why is it a must that we forgive one another? Because Yahuwah and Yahushua has forgiven us. Who are we not to forgive one another when Yahuwah and Yahushua has forgiven us? And so that is what Yahuwah God wants. He does not want his people whom he chose and called to be bickering and fighting against each other. He wants us to work together in harmony, perfect harmony, bound by love. This is why Apostle Paul says, above all, clothe yourself with love because it is love that will bind us together regardless of our personal differences in perfect harmony. And so this is what we got from the sermon of Moses. And this is not even the complete first sermon. The first sermon of Moses covers all the way to chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. We're only in chapter 1. So we have a lot more digging to do. But we can already feel that we can have so much application from the sermon of Moses, even when it comes to our present situation and our present time. However, before we go ahead and wrap everything up, just really briefly, I want to mention something because the book of Deuteronomy is not just a series of sermons from Moses. It turns out the book of Deuteronomy is also a covenant document. The word Torah actually means document or book, right? And so Deuteronomy is a covenant document. What is a covenant, by the way? It's a treatise, an agreement, right? And about 50 years ago, scholars and people who excavated things, archaeologists, they discovered something in the, among the Dead Sea Scrolls. They saw, they found fragments of what turns out to be treaties during the ancient times in the ancient Near East during the days of Moses. So during that time, when people formed agreements, when people established covenants, for example, two parties, two individuals, two nations, whenever a covenant was entered into, there were certain elements, components in that uh, covenant. It turns out that there were different parts. During the days of the ancient Near Eastern culture, the custom of that time, the days of Moses, a covenant document would include the following things, a preamble, a historical prologue, stipulations, a document clause, blessings and curses, and covenant witnesses. And so to ratify, to make as official a covenant, it usually has all of these elements to it. And it turns out when we look at these elements and let's go briefly through what they mean. For example, preamble, the preamble basically introduces the parties of the covenant because when you enter a covenant, it's between two parties, right? Joe and Jane. A wedding is a covenant basically, right? Between uh, a bride and a groom. And so the preamble part of the covenant document introduces the parties of the covenant. The historical prologue, it basically 
includes how the two parties met and how they arrived to the point that they have decided to make this agreement. That's the historical prologue, how they got there. The stipulations are basically the terms of the covenant. What are the responsibilities of this party? What are the responsibilities of this party? The terms of the covenant are spelled out, what are called stipulations. And there's the document clause, which is basically committing into writing um, the terms of the covenant. And so there's a written reminder to make it official. And this written reminder will be used to remind people of the covenant that was made. For example, during the days of the people of Israel, um, they would remind about the covenant like once every seven years. Okay, And there's also the blessings of curse and curses, which basically is the motivation for you to keep the terms of the covenant. Because if you don't do it, if you don't fulfill your part, there's going to be like a curse part, a bad part. But if you do fulfill it, there's a blessing or a good part, right? And so that's part of the terms, that's part of the covenant also. And covenant witnesses. Because the covenant between two parties, there has to be a witness. In other words, it must not be in secret, right? It must not be in secret. Rather, it should be exposed. It is known. It's like public. And so when people enter to, in a covenant or a treatise with each other during those days, it had these parts. It turns out when you look at the book of Deuteronomy, it is a covenant document between who? Yahuwah and his people Israel. Well, what's the preamble? Preamble is in Deuteronomy 1, 1 down 2, 5. The historic, what's the historical prologue? It's basically the first sermon that Moses gave. It tells us how we got to this point where Yahuwah God is creating a covenant with his people. What are the stipulations, the terms of the covenant? It's in Deuteronomy 4, 45 to 26, 19. And in this instant, in this case, the parties involved, Yahuwah and Israel, when it comes to the stipulations, most of it, if not all of it, falls really on the responsibilities of the vassal or the, uh, the servants, which would be Israel, right? And then we have the document clause. It was written down. The scroll was given to the, the high priest, the pro, uh, some of the other servants. So it's something written to make it more official. Blessings and curses was described in Deuteronomy 28 to 29. And the witnesses in Deuteronomy 4, 25, 26, 30, 17, 20, Yahuwah God says, I make heaven and earth as witnesses against you if you do not fulfill the terms of this covenant. So it turns out the book of Deuteronomy is a covenant document. And I find this fascinating because when we look at the pattern of a covenant document, it's exactly what we followed as we registered the assembly of Yahushua. Remember, when we registered as an assembly of Yahushua, it was to fulfill what? A promise, wasn't it? A prophecy of scripture, because a prophecy often contains a promise. And a promise, what does that contain again? A command that we have to do our part, right? And so when we look at the preamble, what is our preamble as the assembly of Yahushua? 
What's our preamble? Isaiah 43, 7. Bring everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So we now, uh, Yahuwah is now reminding us the covenant is between Yahuwah God, right? Yahusha, and those who were given his name. There's now that relationship, a covenant relationship. And if we study this in our dedication worship service, that relationship is he is our God. We are his sons and daughters, right? Which was, again, confirmed in Hebrews chapter 2. And so that's the preamble. And there's also the historical prologue, how parties arrived, how we became the assembly of Yahusha. And what is the historical prologue? Basically, it starts with Isaiah 43, 5, 2, 6, right? How Yahuwah God called the people from the ends of the earth from the far east. And in Isaiah chapter 1, we know what happened with the daughter of Zion. And then Yahuwah God says he has a small remnant. And so that's the historical prologue teaching us from Isaiah 43, 5 to 6. That leads to Isaiah 43, verse 7, right? The preamble, the historical prologue. Well, how about the stipulation in terms of the covenant? Well, that's in Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares Yahuwah. I have chosen you as my servant so that you can know and believe in me and understand that I am the one who did this. No God was formed before me and there will be none after me. So what is the stipulation? What is our part? Why? What is our responsibility being chosen based on the covenant? What must we do to carry out Yahuwah God's purpose for calling us? Bible says we have to be his witnesses. In other words, we have to speak about Yahuwah God. We need to proclaim his name. Not only that, for Zion's sake, I will not remain silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until its righteousness shines like the dawn and its salvation burns brightly like a torch. The nations will see your righteousness. All kings will see your glory will be given a new name that Yahuwah will announce. What also is expected, the responsibility, the stipulations, the terms of the covenant between Yahuwah God and the people who will be called by that name that he will announce, that name Yahusha. Bible says we must not rest until righteousness shines and salvation burns brightly. That's our work. And this is what we need to do. This is why we need to share our faith. We need to proclaim the name of Abba, the name of Yahuwah God, the name of his son, Yahusha Hamashiach. That is uh, the stipulation. How about the document clause, which is a, like a written reminder of what we're all about. That's actually written in our statement of faith. Because when we registered an assembly of Yahusha, we had to give us a statement of faith. And so now we have a statement of faith that becomes a document clause because it is written. We have a written statement of faith that is a document that contains our responsibilities according to the prophecies and the teachings of Yahuwah Abba. How about the blessings and curses? Isaiah 24, 14 and 16. They raise their voices. They shout for joy from the West. They acclaim Yahuwah's majesty. Therefore, in the east, give glory to Yahuwah. Exalt the name of Yahuwah, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea. From the ends of the earth, we hear singing, glory to the righteous one. But I said, I waste away, I waste away. Woe to me, the treacherous betray with treachery, the treacherous 
betray. And so what are the blessings and curses? Remember the purpose of our election. Yahuwah God shows us in Isaiah 43, 7 and Isaiah 43, 10, that we may proclaim his name, that we may witness for him. In other words, we must be loyal to him and acclaim his majesty and give glory to him, not to some leader here on earth, right? That's the term of the covenant. And if we follow the term, we get the blessing. What is the blessing? You will have joy. On the other hand, if you will give glory to someone else, if you will not acclaim the name of Yahuwah, instead you will acclaim someone else's name. What is the curse? Bible says you will waste away. Woe to me. There's a big difference between joy and woe, right? You see the blessing and the curse. And so we must always acclaim the name of Yahuwah and his majesty, exalt his name, and be loyal to him and his beloved son. So we have the blessings and the curses in Isaiah 24, 14, and 16. And covenant witnesses, was it made public? Our relationship with Yahuwah and Yahusha, was it made public? Our statement of faith, is it made public? Yeah, this is the purpose of our registration. And so you have to keep in mind, during the days of Moses, there was an official way to make covenants legal. And Yahuwah God recognized it. He did not bypass it. That's what Yahuwah God does. If you look at scriptures, Yahuwah God always looks into and uses the customs, the governmental policies of nations and kingdoms to communicate his will and to carry out his plan. He doesn't bypass it. And so even during our time, in the fulfillment of the prophecy during this time, Yahuwah God also looks at the custom, what is, what is needed for that covenant to be ratified. And this is why as part of the covenant document, our registration is able to show that we too have satisfied a covenant document with Yahuwah our God because of his words, his promises, and the fulfillment of his prophecies in the assembly of Yahusha. This is why anyone can go into the public records and look up assembly of Yahusha, and you can look up the statement of faith and you will know what we are all about. We're not hiding anything. You will know the purpose of the assembly of Yahusha, and you will see it is exactly what Yahuwah God wants us to do according to his Prophecy. And this is why we believe that the registration of the assembly of Yahusha is the fulfillment of the will of Yahuwah our God. And when you go to these public records, because the purpose of a covenant is to make public, right? To let, to let everyone know publicly that we're not hiding anything. A covenant should not be hidden. It should be broadcasted. That's why when you go to the government records, you will see the purpose of our, our assembly. And when people realize, when they look up the records, when they look up the assembly of Yahusha and what its purpose is, we are also fulfilling what Yahusha said. The last passage of our studies today in the book of Matthew 10, 32, 33, those who, publi those who declare publicly that they belong to me. I will do the same for them before my father in heaven.
But those who reject me publicly, I will reject before my Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, when people dig through the public records and look up the Assembly of Yahushua, look at the Statement of Faith, the name itself, Assembly of Yahushua, we are proclaiming publicly that we belong to Yahushua HaMashiach. By doing so, Yahushua himself says, I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. But those who reject him publicly, Yahushua will also reject them before our Father in heaven. And so, brethren, we declare publicly, not only on this platform, where we have a Zoom and Facebook uh, platform to communicate what our purposes are. Not only do we use the internet as a platform, we also now have officially our registration to publicly declare we belong to Yahusha. And we are so happy that we are able to do that. And we believe this is Yahuwah's will. And it's part of his plan so that we can continue to expand and grow and give glory to Abba and his son, Yahusha HaMashiach. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Loving Father, Yahuwah Abba, thank you so much. The prophecies of scripture are indeed lights that guide our path to give us direction a purpose to give us evidence yes, that this work is not ours, but yours. Yes, if it's just ours, Father, we will abandon it yes. because our work is meaningless. Yes. It is your work that counts. Yes, Father, Father, thank you for involving us, using us. Yes, Continue, please, to open our minds yes. and our eyes that we may see your truth unfolding in these last days. Yes, you are preparing us for the great day of salvation. Yes. Help us to do our part. You have promised us that we will grow and increase in number. Yes. So be it, loving Yahuwah. Yes. We will do our work. Only help us. Yes. Help us, most of all, to love each other. Yes. Because when we practice love and humility, yes. this is a perfect reflection of your son. And we are able to communicate your righteousness to the people of the world. Help us to share our faith, to proclaim your name, Yahuwah, and your son's name, Yahushua. To proclaim your holy words that more and more people will come to know you and your desires for them. Yahushua, our king, thank you. We are truly honored. To be able to publicly declare, we belong to you. You are our king, our Mashiach and loving chief shepherd. May you always guide us. Help us in this journey and work. Bless your servants. Help us to grow in faith, to grow in wisdom. That we may move towards the direction of refinement and perfection in our faith and in all that we do. Please guide us and help us every day. Father, please remember your people who are going through different kinds of trials. May you give us comfort and strength 
guidance along the path. Amen. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.